welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com. Have an amazing rest of your day. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator to certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you can go ahead and cross off your bucket list that you have heard an Englishman read you the preamble (laughs) to the Declaration of Independence. Check. I bet you never thought you'd hear that this morning. There's a fun fact for you, and my wife knew this. She claims to have known this, and I believe her. She's smarter than me in most ways. But she claimed to know this fun fact. And I don't know how much is taught over here in uh, U.S. schools about the Revolutionary War, about Declaration of Independence, all that kind of stuff. I can tell you that in the U.K., we didn't learn anything. We only learned about the battles that we won. And that's not one that we won. So I didn't know this at all. My wife said she did. So you'll have to tell me if you knew this or not. But that actually, that little phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, is not the original text. I didn't know that. That text actually was edited to read Pursuit of Happiness by Thomas Jefferson. Before that, it belonged to a piece of writing by a guy named John Locke. John Locke was an English uh, philosopher, poet, physician. And in his original writing, what it actually said was that the unalienable rights are life, liberty, and anybody know this? Property. That's right. Life, liberty, and property. Now listen, hear me. I am no scholar of this type of stuff. I know nothing. I found this on the internet. Who knows if that's even accurate? But I do think, if it's true, it is a little telling that that word property got subbed in for happiness. That happiness was what they landed on, but property was that original word. The reason I think that's interesting is that we as a culture are pursuing happiness in a lot of ways. And a lot of it has to do with possessions and it has to do with property. Right? Whether we think uh, we might be happy if we just had, I don't know, the newest gadgets, the latest phone, uh, better clothes, bigger houses, better cars, more sex, more relationships, more wealth, whatever it is, we're chasing happiness through ways that are just all about stuff. But today we're going to tackle something better. We're going to tackle something deeper, something that endures, something that will last, something that uh, will outlive happiness every single time, and something that I think is ultimately more worth pursuing than just plain old happiness. All right, we're going to talk about joy today. My name's James. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, Man, we are so glad that you're here today. Uh, Big shout out to my loft crowd upstairs. Hope you guys are doing well too. Uh, We are kicking off this uh, series. We kicked it off last week. Pastor Jeremy talked about love. That's the first fruit of the Spirit that we talked about. And let me tell you this, Pastor Jeremy is perfectly placed to talk to you about love. Because that man is the most loving person I know. He loves this church very much. He loves each one of you very deeply. And more than that, more than that, he loves, loves, loves sushi. (laughs) It is unnatural how much that man loves sushi. uh, Seriously, he is all about it. 
More than that, obviously, he loves Jesus. But he was perfectly placed to talk to us about love. So if you missed that message, go ahead back to our website, sheltercovelife.com slash media. Check out that message there. Make sure you catch up. Uh, this concept of fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5. And we're gonna start in verse 16 today. I'm gonna give you a moment to get there in your Bibles. And our ushers have Bibles. If you don't have one, that'll be our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible here today, we will also have it up on the screens for you. But I wanna tell you about something, something that you'll encounter here at Shelter Cove. Uh, maybe you've been coming for a little bit. Maybe you're brand new. Whichever way, I'm gonna tell you about something that we do here. Don't do it right now. But what we're gonna do in a moment is we're gonna stand as we read God's word. Now, the reason we do that is because God's word is our number one core value. It is the benchmark for truth. Uh, we believe it is infallible. We believe that it is inerrant. That is to say it's without error. And we believe that it is inspired by God. It's important and we value God's word above everything else. So that is why I'm gonna ask you now to stand as we read God's word together. Once again, we were in Galatians 5. We're gonna start here in verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here's where it is, right here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Lord, I pray that you would help me today as I communicate your word. I just pray that you would uh, give me the words to say. God, I pray that your spirit would uh, lead us this morning. Lord, ultimately, we wanna leave here differently than when we arrived. We wanna be changed by the power of your word, by you moving in our lives. So open our hearts, open our minds to what you have for us today. Uh, Lord, really just bless us as we go after your word this morning. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that we'd be able to find joy this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So what we read in this passage is that there are these two lists of results according to how you are living, right? You have that first list that are a result of things that are uh, according to the flesh. These are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And by the way, I do love a list that is that comprehensive, and still says in things like these at the end of it. it. means it's not a complete list, all right? But then in contrast, you have that second list that talks about the result of living according to the Spirit. And that's where you get things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's number two on that second list that we're gonna land on today. Uh, and I think the first order of business is to figure out what is happiness and what is joy. Because I think what most people will say that joy is just a more intense form of happiness, right? If happiness on the scale of feeling good is like a, I don't know, five through seven, and then like really happy is like seven and eight, and then like super, super duper happy is nine, then joy would be what 10 is. 
But here's what I'd posit based on the two lists that we read in Galatians, I'd posit this. Happiness is available in the flesh. Joy is only obtainable in the spirit. Happiness is available in the flesh. Joy is only obtainable in the spirit. You see, happiness is solely based upon your happenstance. In fact, that word, that's kind of where you get it. Hap, happiness, hap, happenstance. Your happiness is solely dependent on how well your current life situation is going. And so maybe life's pretty good for you right now. Maybe, I don't know, you got that promotion you were looking for. You got that raise or maybe you're rocking the new iPhone. Maybe for the first time since Super Bowl three, your team is showing signs of life. And for once they're looking like they actually want to play football. And we're actually two and two going into week five instead of oh and four. And things are finally looking good. Are there any other Jets fans? Third service, still no Jets fans. <laughs> it's okay to find happiness in those things. I'm not gonna stand here and tell you not to be happy about that. That's okay. Happiness is problematic when it's found in things that are not so good. Because sometimes when our circumstances are not so favorable, things are not going so well, we turn to some of the things off of that first list to try and change our circumstances to try and find some happiness, right? We turn to things like uh, sexual immorality or sensuality or drunkenness or idolatry to help change our current situation because those things can make us happy, right? They can, but it doesn't last. It is not a lasting thing. Uh, you're living according to the flesh, your earthly human desires. The only thing that's available is this temporary, cheap, easily lost happiness that will ultimately come with regret, guilt, shame, and that happiness, man, it rides and dies on your life experiences. So when life's good, you can't find happiness, it's not available to you. You ever spend any time in Las Vegas? Anyone ever spend any time in Vegas? There's probably some people who have been to Vegas. I spent a lot of time in Vegas uh, in my previous job. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I used to provide photo and video support to cheerleading competitions. And that is exactly as ridiculous as it sounds. <laughs> I wasn't a cheerleader. It's very important to me that you know that. Uh, but I did provide photo and video support uh, to cheerleading competitions. And a lot of those happen in Vegas. So I spent a lot of time in Vegas. And what you'll find about the city of Las Vegas, it's a super strange place. What you will find is that if you walk down the strip, the main kind of downtown part of Vegas, any time after 6 p.m. on any given weeknight, Wednesday, for example, what you'll find is a treasure trove of people claiming to sell you happiness. They're on the corner handing, they've got literature. They're handing out pamphlets with pornography on the front of it. They're trying to sell you sex. You've got guys dragging ice chests, which I, I, these are not legitimate businessmen, I'll tell you that. They're dragging ice chests with alcohol loaded up in it on the side of the street. They're trying to get you drunk. They're trying to make you happy, thinking that if you just buy this, man, you'll, you'll be happy for a little bit. Casinos are the worst perpetrators. Casinos, you walk down that strip, you look inside a casino, it looks all bright and shiny, and there's lights and there's noises, and they're like, come on in, win some money, you'll be happy for a bit. Come on in, gamble with us, you'll win some money, and you can be happy. Come on in. And in fact, in casinos, I don't know if you knew this, even the slot machines, the noises that come out of those are designed to manipulate happiness. They're designed to try and make you happy because happy people spend more money. And in fact, Daniel, go ahead and roll that clip for me. 
It's designed to kind of make you happy. Like, oh, someone's winning money. You could too. It's designed to kind of manipulate this false sense of happiness. But anyone who's ever tried to gamble in Vegas knows that that happiness is real short-lived. Because <laughs> the house, it does always win. I was talking to Pastor Jeremy about this message, and he said something that made all the sense in the world to me. It stopped and made me think like, man, oh, he's so right. He said, you look at Vegas and you have to wonder how many lives have been ruined by decisions made in Vegas in the name of some temporary happiness. That kind of happiness is skin deep. But then on the flip side, you have joy. You see, joy is not dependent on your current circumstances. Joy is found despite them. Joy is not fleeting. It's not temporal. It is deep-seated peace and sufficiency that isn't touched by your current situation. And listen, this kind of joy that I'm talking about, this kind of joy that is so much more, so much deeper, so much better than happiness is only found in the Spirit. And so if you're a follower of Jesus here today, if you have made the decision to follow Christ, you've put your, uh, your faith and your trust in him, then you have the spirit dwelling within you and this joy is absolutely accessible to you. Absolutely accessible to you. But maybe you're in the room and you haven't made that decision yet. You haven't put your faith and your trust in Christ. You're just trying to figure out all of that kind of faith stuff. Well, then you haven't experienced a joy like I'm talking about just yet. So hear me today, because let me tell you, this Christian life is joyful. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy. I'm not saying it's always going to be happy, but you will always be able to find joy. Amen. Point number one in your notes, I have three points, things that I think we can find joy in, is joy in salvation. Joy in salvation. You see, ultimately, followers of Jesus can take joy in the fact that even though we are sinful creatures, even though we deserve death, Christ died so that by grace, through faith in him, we have life. Our names are written in the book of life for eternity. Our names are written in heaven. And that in itself is a joyful thing. We sang about the fact that we have a God who runs after us, who sent his son to die for us. The fact that someone loves us that much, the fact that the creator of the world loves us that much. That's a joyful thing in and of itself. Uh, there's a moment in the New Testament that I love and uh, we'll be in Luke 10 here real shortly, Luke 10 verse uh, 17. But there's this moment where Jesus commissions a group of disciples. There's 72 of them and he sends them off to prepare the way and to go do ministry and to to go off uh, on mission, he sends them out. When they return to him, uh, this is the passage that we read in Luke 10, 17. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So there's these guys coming back from this mission. They're like, Jesus, we did all this cool stuff. It went so good. We stamped out demons in your name. And Jesus says, yeah, you did. You're feeling pretty good right now. Things are going well, but don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that ultimately your ultimate joy 
is that your name is written in heaven. In other words, we can have joy in salvation. We can rejoice in your salvation. Your present life situation might be good or bad, but your ultimate joy isn't in that. It's in the fact that your name is written in the book of life and that your hope isn't in anything here on earth. It's in the eternal reality that if you have placed your hope and your faith in the person of Jesus Christ and his miraculous work on the cross, then you, my friends, always will be able to have something to be joyful about. You will always be able to find joy. That's not to say that sometimes we won't lose focus. Sometimes we'll struggle with this. Sometimes we'll, uh, we'll just get into a funk, right? Anyone ever get into kind of just a weird mood that you can't seem to get out of? And you're just like, oh gosh, woke up on the wrong side of bed. Like I'm just not feeling great. Sometimes that happens. We visit that place of doom and gloom. Uh, many of you know that my wife and I have a baby coming in December which we're excited about. Thank you. Yes, super excited. Baby shower was yesterday. Friends, I had no idea how much work goes into a baby shower. I do now. Gentlemen, if you ever have a shower on the horizon, try and be in a different zip code. Um, but it was great. Anyway, we have this baby coming and we figured that we needed a new car because both our cars are unreliable. Our cars broke down regularly. Uh, we had AC issues in both of these vehicles. Uh, we were just scraping by, enjoying not having a car payment or anything. But we said, man, we need to, we need to get something, right? Because we got this baby coming. We're not going to put this baby in either of our two vehicles, trust me. And so we start looking. We start looking around. We look for this new car. We're looking at all the things we should be looking at, right? We're looking at, man, we got to get a stroller in the trunk. So, you know, what's that car where you wave your foot and the trunk automatically opens? Let's get one of those because then you just throw the stroller in. Uh, let's get something that's safety tested. I want a building to fall on this car and everybody just be completely safe inside of it. Let's get this thing safety tested. And so we looked around. We looked at all of these aspects. We finally landed on a dream car. We finally landed on something. We picked it up 10 days ago. Beautiful new car. We were so excited. We were happy. Until Thursday. My wife is awesome. She has the patience of a saint. She, uh, she's a teacher, special ed teacher at Series High. And uh, she has plenty of practice with me at home. Um but it does mean that she interacts a lot with high school kids. And she called me on Thursday as I'm preparing for this message. And she said, she said, babe, you're not gonna believe this. Student on his way out of the parking lot sideswiped our car. Big old dent on it, big old scratch all the way down it. Friends, joy did not seem likely. <laughs> joy did not seem likely in that moment. Everything was okay in the grand scheme. Alyssa was fine. As far as we know, the baby's great. There was no, no reason to believe that the baby's not still doing fine. Uh, the car is not that damaged. I mean, it's definitely damaged, but it's not that bad. But in that moment, I was focused on something that was far from joy. I was angry. I was frustrated. And it's in times like that where it can just derail our entire day, week, month, year. For sure, just... <laughs> the Friends theme song, uh, it can derail us. It can send us off in a different direction and we can get into this funk, this doom and gloom because, man, we just, oh, life just didn't go in the way I wanted to go right now. And we just visit that place of doom and gloom. It can get into our entire disposition. Let me tell you this. There is no place in the Christian disposition for doom and gloom. Am I saying that you're not gonna experience that? 
Am I saying that occasionally you're not going to visit that place of doom and gloom? No, you will. You will. It's part of life. It's natural. It happens. We're human. You will visit that place of doom and gloom. But as Christians, we are called not to stay there. You can visit, can't stay there. It's kind of like Costco. (laughs) You visit, you don't stay. I don't know why I equated doom and gloom with Costco. I love Costco. Love the samples. Back in our series in Colossians, uh, Pastor Bill spoke, did a great job. But one thing he said is, is stuck with me. And what he said was that we have to have a right perspective on God. Part of that is remembering just how far God went to pay the ransom for our souls so that we're no longer dead in our sin, but we're alive in Christ. So how do you find joy in salvation? How do I find joy in salvation? You gotta remember who you are in Christ. That's in your notes. Remember who you are in Christ. There's a verse that I absolutely love. I actually read this every day. Before I start on anything, I read this verse. And the reason I read this verse is actually in uh, Colossians 2, uh, 13 and 14. The reason that I read this verse every single morning is that it does three things. Number one, it reminds me of who I was without Jesus. Number two, it reminds me of who I am with Jesus. And number three, it reminds me just how far he went to get me back. It reads this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, so I was without Jesus, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So I am with Christ. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's how far he went. We gotta have joy in our salvation, friends. We gotta have joy in our salvation. It is the ultimate joy. It is the source of all joy. But because we can have joy in our salvation, something that is eternal, something that we do not lose, it means that we can also have joy during trials. That's your second point in your notes. Joy in trials. There's a verse in the book of James, and I do love the book of James. It says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I'm gonna do that bit again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Your translation might say endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When you meet trials. So here's the Bible's promise that life is sometimes going to be problematic. Sometimes life is going to be a problem. We're going to see these trials. And so if anyone tries to come to you and say, hey, Christian life, oh, it's easy. Christian life is easy. You're just trying for an easier life. You can tell them that that is heresy because the Bible promises trials. But the Christian is to rejoice when they meet trials. Why? So that through our faith during the trial comes steadfastness and let steadfastness or endurance have its full effect so that you may be lacking in nothing. So that you may be lacking in nothing. Trials so that you may be lacking in nothing. Trials then are not just inevitable. They are necessary for our growth. And James says, and I suppose both Jameses will say in this context, that we are to rejoice in this. 
Here's the trap though. When talking about joy and trials, there's a trap that we can fall into. The trap is this. When life is awful and when things are just uh, just piling up around you, you feel like you're barely keeping your head above water, when things are just going south in every which way, when everything is going wrong and nothing feels like it's going right and you feel like you haven't smiled in weeks, the, tr- the issue is and the, the trap that we can fall into is thinking that the Christian is to put their head in the sand like an ostrich and try to ignore the pain and the grief that we experience. Not even remotely close to what I'm telling you to do today. Don't bury your head in the sand. We're going to experience pain and grief. That is a normal part of life. And you can read all kinds of places in the Bible where you see men and women of God who experienced pain and grief. But we're still able to rejoice through that. Uh, Many of you know uh, my wife and I's story a little bit. I think I mentioned some of it the last time that I spoke Uh, My wife and I have been struggling with fertility issues for probably about six six years. Uh, We tried for three years to start a family, was not happening. Went to a doctor, said, Doc, help us out. We don't know what's going on. Can you make sure everything's okay? The doctor said, well, here, let's try this treatment. Uh, It'll take a year to know if it's working or not, but let's give it a go. We said, okay, let's give it a go. Year later, hadn't worked. We were frustrated, like just wasted a year trying this thing. And so we went to back to the doctor and said, hey, doc, what, what can we do next? What's the next step? And the doctor says, well, listen, there's this treatment that we can do, but you can only have six doses of this thing. So if this doesn't work after six times, the only thing really we're looking at after that is IVF. I'm like, oh man, I don't know much about IVF. I've heard it's pricey. So we're really putting all our eggs in the basket, literally, I guess, of this first treatment. <laughs> and so we took the first treatment, was one down, five to go. And positive things were happening with that first treatment. There was no pregnancy, but positive things were happening. We thought there's hope. It's great. The second time we tried this treatment, we got pregnant. We got pregnant and we were elated. I mean, to say that we were on cloud nine is an understatement. We were, that is the happiest that I think I've ever felt in life. It was absolutely amazing. We found out Christmas day of 2021 Uh, So already a happy time of year. And then actually shortly after that, we got to go down to Disneyland for a couple of days. So we were the happiest people on earth in the happiest place on earth. We were so happy. Seven weeks into the pregnancy, uh, we started having symptoms that you don't want uh, with a pregnancy. Rushed into hospital, uh, spoke with the doctors, and they said, yeah, you guys are having a miscarriage. Talk about a trial. We wept. We came home from the hospital dejected, defeated. We sat on the couch. We cried. We were just, didn't know what to do, just holding each other, just in tears. And that lasted for weeks. We'd come home every night from work, trying to carry on with the day-to-day, but we'd always come home and just continue to grieve and continue to mourn. Here's what we were able to do. And I can only attribute this to the spirit of God working in our lives. I can only attribute to this, to the grace of God, to the fact that before all of this, we'd sat down and and looked across from each other over a table and said, whatever happens, God will still be good. We said that early on in this whole process. Had we not done that, I don't think we would have been able to find three things in that circumstance that we could rejoice in. 
But we did. We found three things that we could still have joy in that God was doing through this situation. Number one, we could rejoice that we were closer to each other than we'd ever been. We were going through this together. When you go through something like that together, you lean on each other. You just get, if there's an intimacy, you get closer through it. So we were rejoicing that God was working through that. Number two, we were able to rejoice in the fact that God was drawing us closer to himself than he ever has. We felt closer to God than we've ever been in our lives because we were leaning on him. And then lastly, we were able to rejoice in the fact that we got pregnant. It meant that we could get pregnant. Although it hadn't ended the way we wanted it to, that was still something that we could rejoice in. Had we been walking outside of God's grace and not let the Spirit lead in this area of our lives and not live according to the Spirit, I don't know that I'd be up here today. Goodness knows what I'd have turned to to try and find some happiness. Maybe I'd have turned to drunkenness. Maybe I'd have turned to one of the other things off of that list just to try and medicate and get happy again. But thankfully through that time, God showed us joy. God showed us joy. Listen to me, joy during trials is not always expressed through smiles. Writing a Dr. Seuss book up here. Joy during trials is not always expressed through smiles. It's expressed through worship. It's expressed through knowing that God is still good by saying, God, life is horrible right now, but you are still good through this trial. There's a verse in Nehemiah, it's 8.10, and I love this verse. And you can carry this around with you because it is is so encouraging. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We sang a song earlier. Worship was off the chain today. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, We sang a song called Firm Foundation. I love that song, love Firm Foundation. There's a line in that song that says, I've still got joy in chaos. I've got a peace that makes no sense. From a worldly perspective, this kind of joy that we can experience as followers of Jesus during the trial, when life is just falling down on us, that is such a foreign concept to the world because they don't know what that joy feels like. They don't understand that joy. So people look at us when the Christian goes through trials, that is when we become so much more noticeable to people because we're, why are they okay right now? It's because God is working in their lives. It's because they are focused on something that is ultimately greater than their trial. They are focused on the goodness of God. And so that's the last, that's the the point right there in, in section two of your notes. Remember the goodness of God. We sang about it earlier. Remember the goodness of God. You gotta stay focused on him. Last point in your notes, number three, you have joy in salvation, joy in trials. The last thing is joy in obedience. We probably have some parents in the room, right? You can go ahead and raise your hand for me real quick, parents. Yep, all over the place. Let me ask you this question and you can feel free to respond. Do your kids take joy in obeying you? People have laughed at me every single service. Do they take joy in obeying you? I think the reason that you're probably laughing at me right now is because the idea of joy and obedience don't seem to go together very well, right? 
They do not seem to coexist in the same space because very often when we think of obedience, we think of rules and regulations that are designed to rob life of joy. At least that's what your kids think. I guarantee it. That's what I thought as a kid. The rules are there to suck the fun out of everything. That's what the world thinks. But let me introduce some scripture to you. Psalm 119, we'll start in verse 12. We have it up here on the screens. I'll let you get there because I want you to highlight something in your Bible if you have it with you. This is something that we can strive towards. This is a goal. This is the gold standard in understanding taking joy in obedience. Psalm 119, it says this. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight That's the word right there, delight, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight, circle it again, in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The joy and obedience comes from knowing and trusting that obeying the commandments set in place are for your best interest and for your best good in life. And very often when parents set the rules for kids, parents, you can attest to this, when you're setting those rules, very often it's for your kids' safety and it's so that they can continue to be happy. It's so that there's enjoyment that can continue to happen because there's these guardrails that are set in place. For example, don't go near the oven. Why? You might get burned. Be back at a certain time of night. Why? It's unsafe when you get into the night. You know, maybe you have a rule that says the the kids aren't allowed a computer in their room. Why? Because you're worried about internet safety. The rules are designed for safety. And one thing I hear from people who don't understand the word of God, people who want nothing to do with the word of God, is that it is too full of rules and regulations that are designed to rob life of joy. You ever hear that from somebody? Too full of rules and regulations. Seems like a lot of work. Seems like, you know, it's just going to rob us from joy, like following all those rules. Friends, it's the opposite. We got to flip the mindset. The opposite is true. And if you don't believe me on that, you can head to Vegas for a couple of days and tell me how joyful you feel. Because the issue with living in disobedience to the word of God is that will invariably lead to a life spent looking over your shoulder and hiding things that you shouldn't be doing in the hope that no one sees what you're into. And maybe the way that that manifests for you here today is maybe every time you're on your own, every time you find yourself alone, you're pulling out your phone, you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. Maybe you're looking at pornography. Maybe you're texting someone outside your marriage you shouldn't be texting. But here's what happens. Most people in that situation, uh, they are very protective over their phones because they have to be. They don't want to be found out. And so no one knows their passcode. Every time the phone is out, it's face down and uh, they don't let anyone touch their phone. They get real nervous if someone just moves their phone. That doesn't sound real joyful to me. There's no joy found in that. 1 John chapter 5 says, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not designed to be a burden. They're not designed to weigh us down. They're not designed to be oppressive. They're designed to give us freedom. Because if we listen and if we obey, there's joy to be found in that. Joyful obedience flows from a heart that loves the Lord. And when we gladfully and joyfully obey and don't just go through the motions, we honor God. Not just checking the box, but cheerfully and joyfully obeying and following God's word. So how do I find joy in obedience? You gotta remember this. You gotta remember that his commands 
are the gift of a loving father. His commands are the gift of a loving father. If there's one thing that I want you to leave with today, I hope it's more than one thing, but if it is one thing, here's what it is. Joy is impossible without Jesus. Joy is impossible without Jesus. Maybe you're here and you haven't put your faith and your trust in Christ yet. You, you don't know the kind of joy I'm talking about. You haven't felt it. You can though. You can. It's found in knowing that we are sinners in need of a savior and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that our sin might be forgiven, so that we might be found not guilty in front of a just and holy God. And when you understand that, that's when joy begins to take hold. And so if that's you in the room today, I want you to do something. After service, I want you to come find me, come find one of the pastors, find Pastor Jeremy, go to one of the, uh, the kiosks outside there, find a staff member, come and talk to us. We wanna walk you through this next phase of life. And then maybe you're here and you have given your life to Jesus. You are walking in Christ. You have put your faith and your trust in him, but maybe joy is elusive for you. Maybe it's been a while since you felt the kind of joy that I've been talking about. Maybe the trials seem too much. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you're walking in disobedience. Maybe you've forgotten that joy and wonder that comes from salvation. I want you also to come find a staff member. Come find me. Come find a pastor. We want to pray with you. There's so much joy to be had in the Christian life, friends. You can take my word for it or you can find out for yourself. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for joy. I'm so thankful that it is infinitely better than just plain old happiness. I thank you that it's available to us, that your joy, the joy that you have, you allow us to experience. And I just pray for each person in this room, wherever they're at, whatever stage of life that they're in, pray for anybody up there in the loft that might be thinking about this. I just pray that you would touch them in a real way today, that your spirit would move, the joy would be obtainable for them today. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. We're just so thankful that you care that much about us, that you would give us all these ways to help us find joy. So Lord, as we go from here today, I just pray that you would uh, keep us joyful, that this week joy would be apparent in each and every one of our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.